As we uh, begin this, first of all, um, I want to um, let y'all know this week was a very difficult week for me. On Friday, I got a dreaded text that no one wants to get from anyone. It was from my wife. She said, the power just went out and our internet is gone. And so it was really, really hard. And I thought, you know what, that's not that big a deal. And so um, I texted my son, who is usually the IT guy at our house. And so uh, I said, hey, Clayton, um, hey, just check the internet, see, you know, reset the router, all this stuff. He knows what to do. He's been through the drill. And I get back in all caps, it's not working, Dad. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, this is not good. And so I try to get myself together. I, I, I get on the chat with the internet company, and he, he tells us, uh, um, this is what you need to do. Go and reset the router in the garage. I didn't know we had, or reset the box in the garage. I didn't know we had a box in the garage. And so we do that. He sends me back a message on the, the guy from the, uh, from the company. He sends back, this is bad news. We're going to have to upgrade the level. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. It doesn't sound good. Let's just get this thing fixed. And he says, good news. I will have a technician come out, take care of it for you. He can be there on July 31st. And I thought to myself, wait a second. Sounded a lot. It looked a lot like you typed July 31st. Uh, that's uh, like 12 hours. It's eternity away, and that's, that's too far. And so I texted back to my family who, I don't know if you understand how this news goes over. This did not go over well, that we were not going to have the internet for 12 days. And so as I walk through the door of my house, I'm praying, Lord, give me the right words to speak in this moment. And so I walk in, and it's all pandemonium. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing in this moment. And so they've just come back from camp. Two of them had just come back from camp, and they haven't had the Internet all week. But yet, for some reason, they weren't going to be able to live another day without the Internet. So I took them to the front door. This is what the Holy Spirit gave me to do. And I, and I opened the front door a little bit, and I said to all of my family, I said, look, every video game you've ever played, which by the way, you can't play video games without the internet anymore. That's a thing apparently. And you can't watch movies without uh, the internet anymore. And so I said, every movie you've ever seen, every video game you've ever played exists in reality right through this door. And I tried to coax them out to go and live life and they would not take the bait. They slammed the door, they yelled at me, they chastised me and they said, we are not going out there, fix the internet. And I thought to myself, all right, I got to go a different tactic about this. And so I set my family down and I said, we're going to have a little scenario game we're going to be playing for the next few weeks. It's going to be called Living in the 90s, okay? And I assured them that people had done this before. In fact, I have been through this. I'm an expert of how to live a childhood through the 90s. And, uh, and so we started this experiment yesterday of living with no internet. Um, we do have a cell phone, but now, and I've, what I've noticed in the last few uh, hours, if I leave my cell phone alone in this time in my life right now, it disappears and it goes and somebody grabs it because it's the only source apparently to the outside world right now is this device that goes in my pocket. And if I don't keep an eye on it, one of my little creatures in my house will run off with it and they'll try to watch their Netflix or whatever it is they do. And so as we've been navigating this, I've been trying to, uh, to, to figure out how did we used to live back in the day with no internet, and, and there have been some changes, and one of the things that I realized is that where seems to be kind of a forgotten art of figuring out where you're going to go. Now, what I mean by this is, is we try and take where for granted now. 
For example, last night I, I was meeting my son. Uh, he, he left for camp today, and so we were going to have our uh, last meal kind of as a family before school starts. And so he drives, and so we just said, hey, meet us at this restaurant in McKinney. And he's never driven to McKinney, but all I had to tell him was where, the name of the restaurant, and he was able to go exactly where he needed to be. And we were all able to get there. We didn't have to think, you know, what are the directions, didn't have to think any of that, but this morning when I got up, I didn't have my cell phone with me, and I had two of my kids wake up and say, hey, we want to watch a movie. Last night they were watching Lego movies because the only DVDs we have in our house are from 10 years ago when they were all little, and so they were watching Lego. I had teenagers watching Lego DVDs last night, and they said, hey, we need to go get some more DVDs, and I had to think to myself, where do you even get DVDs anymore? Where, where is this? And so we thought, Redbox, and then I had to think, where is a red box? I don't even know. I don't even see red boxes anymore, even though they might be all around. And so today I'm going to be driving around. I didn't have my phone with me at the time. And so I, I was just thinking, where do I even go for that? Where do I even find out where a red box is? I'm going to have to go to a Starbucks or before I leave church, I'm going to have to look it up here so I can figure out where a red box is. Because where is never a problem when you have the internet, but back in the day, where was everything? When we wanted to go to a restaurant in the 90s for you youngins in here, it was a whole different experience. When I was in high school, I had a thing called a Mapsco. Anyone? Anyone? And the Mapsco was always with me. As a high schooler, you just had a Mapsco. And if somebody, if I was going to go to a restaurant, I would have to get directions. And in fact, if you were going on a trip, there were two people needed on a trip. You had to have a navigator. The navigator was maybe your spouse, and if you're a kid, you watched your mom and dad, you know, navigate that relationship, because the navigator is as important as the driver, and many an argument happened because the navigator was wrong, or the driver missed the turn that the navigator said, but the navigator was an actual position in the car, and if you're a kid, sometimes you got to be the navigator, and that was a big responsibility, and you had to be up for the task. In fact, I was also thinking about how just knowing where stuff was was a big deal, just that it existed. My dad had a supernatural talent in the 90s that is way underappreciated now. In fact, it's not even a thing anymore. But in the 90s, my dad had the supernatural ability to know the location of every Dickie's barbecue in the world. And it was very unusual. We could be in East Texas, and this happened on a number of occasions. We would be in East Texas, and we would be, or, or in some, you know, far away where I had never been, and we, where we're going to eat. And my dad would say, let's just go to Dickie's. It's down here to the right. Go through this. And he would just take us right to the Dickie's. And I was like, how does he even know this exists? But he was good at finding where. But now we live in this time of our lives in which none of us consider where we're going because we take it for granted. We know that, hey, I can know where at any moment in my life. I'm never going to have to sit down if I've got, you know, this device in my pocket. I'm never going to have to sit down and, and figure out where anymore. The questions now become how. How am I going to get there? And it's just so much easier when we take it for granted of how we're going to figure out where we're going. Now, this is not a big deal when it's a restaurant. It's not a big deal if you're just trying to find a place to eat. But it's a big deal in your life when you begin to forget or take for granted where you're going in life. When you begin to say, you know what, I just want to figure out how to become a better person, and you don't take the time to figure out where you're going to end up in life. 
And it has big consequences that I think that we're beginning to see all over uh, the world. In fact, uh, one of the biggest trends that we have in this world right now is self-help and the, and the self-help mentality, which, by the way, I'm not uh, bashing. I think it's a great thing to want to better, better yourself. But I've noticed that one of the trends of this growing industry is to tell us, here's your plan. Here's how you're going to, to become a new person. Here's how you're going to better yourself. And it doesn't address the bigger question of where you are going. Where is this taking you? And so uh, I looked up some of the, the top uh, self-help books right now, which again, I, I'm all for. I read a lot of these books. I've read most of these books. Um, I'll tell you one I haven't read. It was the number one self-help book. It was called Girl, Wash Your Face. I will tell you, I have not washed my face because that book doesn't seem to be addressed to me. But I'll tell you, apparently washing your face is a good thing. And the next book that the same author put out was uh, Girl, uh, Don't Apologize or Stop Apologizing. And I just thought, you know what, that's, that's the mentality of here, I haven't read the book, so this is, I'm about to butcher this book, so don't, hey, it's probably a great book, okay? But if it's a list of things you need to stop doing or start doing, hey, don't apologize. I, I think there's a point in our life in which before we get to the plan, hey, this is what you need to fix your life. Do this, do this, do this. We need to stop and think, where is this taking me? And once I get a vision of where I'm supposed to be, well, then maybe it's a good idea to stop apologizing. Maybe you need to apologize a lot. I don't know. But before we get into the where, we can't neglect, I mean, to into the how, we can't neglect the where. Because what happens when you neglect the where is what I, I, we encounter all, every day. Some of you in this very room, if you're honest, would say, you know, I'm not quite happy where I'm at right now. I never thought that I would be here. And so what happens when we neglect the where is we end up someplace we never thought we'd be. In fact, if you don't know where you're going, you better be careful because you might get there. The most important thing I think that you can understand about navigating this life is not how you're going to get there. It's where you're going to be when you get there. Because I, I know so many of us, even in this room, there are some of us I never thought I'd be here. And so we, we dream of what we're going to do, how we're going to, to get where we think we want to be. And we, we have fantasies that pop in our mind. And what if I could escape? What if I could get out of this? What if tomorrow I woke up and, and I, I left all of these relationships and all of a sudden I was in California or Colorado or somewhere else and I could start fresh? And we have these fantasies of somehow escaping where we are because we don't like where we are because we never intended to be here. But some of us will never, ever, ever take those steps and actually leave those responsibilities that we feel we've tied ourselves to. And so we, we do something that's just as bad as, as trying to escape. We say, you know, what if I just gave up? You know what? It's never going to change for me. I'm always going to be in this position. And so there are some of us in the same, in this room, who think, you know what? My marriage is never going to get better. It's never going to change. I'm just going to go through and maybe I'll get through this season and maybe we'll suffer through this and maybe I'll somehow come out on the other end and, and someday I'll have a better, better lot than what I've gotten right now. Or you know what, I'm tied to these kids. You know, I love my kids, but man, I just, there's so much I'm not going to be because I've got, and you just begin to analyze your life and you think, you know what, I, I, I'm not where I want to be. 
And you begin to plot how maybe I should escape, maybe I should give up, or, or maybe you see this happen a lot. People will say, you know what, maybe I just need to go all in. And they go all in, but they go all in on something that's never going to fix the problems that they have. It's never going to take them where they want to be. I've seen people say, you know what, I'm going to get divorced and then I'm going to be a new person. And they get the haircut, maybe they lose weight, and they begin to, to try to live this different life. And you know what, it didn't fix anything. In fact, it broke a lot of things. Some of us have this mindset, you know what, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to, I'm going to get all healthy or I'm going to go all in on my, my job and I'm going to make, make money and I'm going to start doing the things and, 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 and buying some of the things that I've always wanted and that's going to fix things. But the problem is, if we don't know where that is taking us, we might even be doing the right things, but we're doing them for the wrong reasons and it ends up taking us further from where we wanted to be. Most important thing I think that we can do in life and understand is this concept, and we'll see if I got my. Where you end up in life is not based on what you achieve or what you acquire. It is based on who you become. This single idea that who we are becoming is what is going to lead you to joy and true success in life. is who you are becoming and what it takes for you, the changes in yourself and the things that God is going to do in you is way much more than what you achieve or acquire. But most of us, when we think, hey, where do I want to be? Hey, I want to have this stuff. I want to achieve these things. I want to be able to say, I did this. That's what we define our success. And we forget that really all of those things that you'll ever achieve or acquire, they're just results of who you have become. And so it's a really, really destructive mindset to simply focus on the how and never sit down and think, who? Am I becoming? Where is this taking me? This is a truth that I've seen. We all want a better plan, but what we need is a better vision. We all want a better plan. In fact, some of us come to church and we think, hey, you know what? I've tried everything else. I just need, if you could give me the, the four or five things that Jesus would have me do if I need to start giving, or maybe I need to just come to church, check that off. If, I could, if you could just tell me what to do, then that's what I need. But what we really need is a vision for who we are becoming. What does it look like when you, when you do all these things? Who is that going to build? Because in our life as a church, I, I've wrestled with this and wrestled with this because this is a big deal to me. You need to understand the vision for your life. And as a church, we need to be able to tell you our vision. But here's what I've done over the last few years. I've been doing an experiment as I've, I've wrestled with uh, an organization, trying to have an organization that leads people from where they are to where God wants us to be. In fact, that's the mission of our church. Um, it, it's, it's been very well defined. If there's anything that, that most of our members would say, it's that, hey, I know this is something we say at this church, right? This is what we call our mission statement. I did a fun experiment. I asked uh, some of our leaders. In fact, I asked all of our leaders, hey, can you tell me our mission statement? Every single one of them was able to say, yes, we, we exist to lead you from where? How many of y'all would have said this? Hey, I know our mission. Okay, let's say it together without looking. Close your eyes. From, we exist to lead you from? And that's great. But what I began to do is I began to say, you know what, that's a great mission. A mission is uh, what all Christians should have in mind. We say it different ways. Jesus said that we exist to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that he's commanded. But this is basically our version of saying that, that we have a mission for everyone. Wherever you are, we want you to begin a journey. 
And we want you to go from where you are to where God wants you to be. And so that's, that's the mission of this church is we want you to go from where you are, which you probably know where you are, and we want you to go where God wants you to be. But the problem I, I found in this is that as we figure out who we are, and most of us are, we know we, we could answer this question in some way, and we'll talk about this. And we hear this vision or this, this mission where God wants us to be. Most of us begin to think, think, you know what, that sounds great. I would love to be. Who wouldn't want to be where God wants them to be? And so we begin to ask questions, well, how do I get there? But I realize as a church, we've never actually defined the vision for your life, where God wants you to be. And this creates issues in an organization. This creates um, issues as a Christ follower if you have a mission but no vision for your life, no vision for where this is going to take you. And so this entire message today, I hope, will give you the vision of this church. And I want to make clear, the vision of this church is not an organizational, we want to have this many people, we want to, um, we want to grow to this size. The vision for our organization is a vision for your life. Where God wants you to be. That's what I want to talk about. But what we do in, the, in, in most of our lives is we get fixed on the how. How am I going to get there? What do I need to do to get here? And if we don't know where it is, it can lead us wrong. And I want to show you, I want to, I want to introduce you to some people. These people don't know that I'm going to call them up here, uh, but they're fictional people. I'm, I'm going to ask for six volunteers, and you're not going to have to speak, okay? That's my promise to you, okay? And so, Courtney's looking at me like, do not call me. So, Phil, come on up. Courtney, come on up. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, Mike loves to be called on. So, Mike, you come on up and stand here. Uh, Ricky, you come on up. Jenny, you come on up. Okay, I need six volunteers. How many I got? I got five. And uh, Seth. Seth looks uh, really excited to be up here. So, uh, Seth, if you'll come up here, okay? And uh, I just want to introduce you to these people. But the reason I want you to introduce you to these people is because these people are, are, have a clearly defined where they are. And these are people that exist in this church or they exist out there, okay? The first one I'm going to introduce you is over here. This is Purposeless Paul, okay? Y'all, this is Purposeless Paul. I know, it's kind of sad, but this really exists, okay? Now, uh, this is uh, financially strapped Fiona, okay? Okay, that's who she is, okay? Uh, next, we've got um, overcommitted uh, Oliver, okay? That's overcommitted Oliver, uh, I'm making these names up on, okay, we've got uh, low self-esteemed uh, Louisa, okay, <laughs> low self-esteemed Louisa. We've got uh, overwhelmed Octavius here, okay, overwhelmed Octavius. And last we've got uh, apathetic Allen, okay, this is apathetic Allen, okay. But here's what I want you to see. Everyone who comes in this church, everyone who hasn't come in this church is somewhere. We know where, you know where you are, okay. And you might even say, you know what, I long to be where God wants me to be. But if it's not defined, if you don't know what it looks like to be where God wants you to be, then how you try to get there is going, is going, could be destructive. So if you're purposeless Paul over here, and you work, walk into a church and you say, you know what, I want to be where God wants you to be, it might inspire you to make some decisions. You might even hear a message that, that you interpret. But if you don't know what it really looks like to be where God wants you to be, maybe you think, you know what, I'm purposeless. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to, to not be drudging through. And so maybe he quits his job. Maybe he makes some decisions that, that 
in the long run are going to destroy and take him further away from where God wants him to be. But because he simply heard this, this statement from, to where God wants me to be, he began to connect the dots because he thought, you know what, I want to be where God wants me to be. But if we don't get clear on, on what it looks like to be where God wants us to be, there's a, there's a chance, there's a danger. Now, by God's grace, I don't think this has happened to everyone, but there's a danger that some of us get disillusioned and begin to make decisions that lead us further from where God wants us to be. Financially strapped Fran, um, Francine? Fiona. Fiona. I can't remember. I'm just, okay. But listen, she lives in a culture where everybody has a lot of stuff, and if she's financially strapped and going through a hard time, it's very easily saying, where would God want? Well, God would want me to be blessed. And we can buy into things that somebody tells us, well, God would want you to be blessed. And all of a sudden, you begin to make decisions financially that you think are right because you think this is what somebody who's blessed with you I need to live. And maybe you begin to make decisions that are poor decisions and are going to hurt you in the long run. And all of these things are happening because the decisions you're making are, are not really where God wants you to be. Because you're thinking about the how and the what, and you're listening to everything. You're trying to navigate it, but if you don't know where you're going, you might end up there. Over-committed Oliver commits himself to so many things, and he thinks he's doing good stuff in the name of Jesus. That's why he's, he's coaching 10 ball games right now or this week, and, and he's, he's doing everything because wouldn't Jesus want him to, to give everything for his family? Wouldn't Jesus want him to serve one more person? Wouldn't Jesus want, and he's committing and committing, and he thinks he's going where God wants him to be. And so he's filling in the gaps and, and, the, and the how becomes just one more commitment and these commitments eventually lead him away. Low self-esteem, Louisa, is that it? This can be very destructive as well. She comes into church and she thinks in the back of her mind, I'm not good enough. This is, you know, I'm not, I'm not even one of the, these people. These people seem to be perfect, but I'm not good enough. And so she kind of makes decisions. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do the right thing. And, and she never takes a risk. She never really follows Christ to the, the point he's leading. But she'll go right up as long as she can stay in the background or as long as she can have that, that way to, to, to that out of saying, you know what, I was at least being faithful. And she never really, really takes a step where God is leading her. Because in her mind, she said, well, God wants me to be, he wants me to be comfortable. God wants me to just be in this. And she never fully becomes the person God is leading her to be simply because she was filling in the gap. And we never define this is where God wants you to be. Overwhelmed Octavius, the Roman emperor, uh, overwhelmed and we're overwhelmed by so many things. There's so many things that are, are overwhelming us and, and we don't know why. And so we, we begin to make decisions and, and some of these decisions uh, can be disastrous. Maybe we're overwhelmed uh, because uh, we're trying to be a, a good father, a good, a good wife, and we just try to try, but we feel like we're failing and every decision we make feels like a failure and we're overwhelmed. And so we just think to ourselves, you know what? I'm a failure. I can't do this. And so we start to make decisions thinking we're getting closer to where we want to be. In reality, we start making decisions that are hurting us. And then we've got apathetic Alan, and I think this is one of the most destructive ones, because apathetic Alan has just kind of given up. And so he comes to church, and he checks off the box. Hey, I went to church. Hey, I prayed. I did all this, but his life is so far from where God wants him to be. You know, he might have even got up and read his Bible. He might have even done some of the things the preacher asked him to do. But you know what? 
so apathetic because in his heart he really believes things will never change. My life is never going to be any different than this. I'm stuck in this thing, this, this life, and it just feels like a rat race. And I'm just going to try to suffer through it, and maybe one day I'll get to the end. Maybe heaven will be better than this. But, man, I just want this to end. And even the good decisions he's made, maybe he has a great wife, maybe he has a, a, a great kids, but even those decisions seem to lock him down because everything has become apathetic. Y'all, y'all can go ahead and have a seat. Y'all thank them very much. I say this because when we talk about the vision of this church, it has to be a clear vision for your life. And so many of us don't have the right vision for our life. And if you don't have the right vision of where God is calling you to be, You'll fill yourself with so many howls, and you'll think, you know what, if I could just lose the weight, if I could just get stronger, if I could just climb this mountain, if I could just do this or do that, get this job or get this house or this car, and you'll fill yourself with a million howls, and it'll never take you where God wants you to be. One of the things that uh, I want to show you is all of these things, we're looking for a how to get us there. But one of the truths that you're going to find is when we want a how, God often gives us a who. We talked about this last week, and we're going to talk about this probably till the end of this church, which I hope is never when Jesus comes. But we want a how. In fact, people still come to church and, hey, just tell me what I need to do. Do I need to give? Do I need to to show up? How many times do I need to come? Tell me how I need to, to, to follow Jesus. Tell me how much is enough. But when we want a how, we want a 10 steps, we want three steps, we want four steps to, to become the person God wants us to be. And it's not a how, it's a who. Let me show you this uh, from, from Scripture. And also want to show you just uh, in a couple of examples that I've seen. I've seen this. Um, by the way, I was talking with uh, Chase Green, which I don't see Chase. It's Chase, Chase might not even be here today, so I'm going to talk about him a little bit. Uh, Chase Green has lost 130 pounds. He's a member of this church. 130 pounds this uh, um, year, he's also just uh, been uh, in the top 13 finalists for DDPY. Uh, they have a contest of 6,000 people, and he's in the top 13 stories. You can give him a little hand. And it's very exciting, but I talked with him on Friday. I've talked with him several times about this, and one of the things that amazes me is when he talks about it, the first time he ever, uh, I've had many interactions with him of him wanting to um, to get somewhere, be healthy and stuff. But his why this time, the first time he ever said, hey, I'm, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to do it for real this time. It wasn't a how, it didn't even talk about how. He said to me, though, he said, I want to be a dad who gets on the floor with my kids and plays. And that was the first thing he ever said this, uh, in this journey. He says, I'm going to be the, the dad that can get down and be in his life. And, and, and where he wanted to be, became more important than just what he was going to do. And every other time I've, I've had a conversation with him in the past years, it's always been this is what I'm going to do. But this time he had this vision of who I'm going to be. And he began to figure out the, the, the what and the how. And, and even when this how doesn't work, he'll tweak it because the, the where he wants to be is so clear. I want to show you a story that happened in the life of Jesus in which Jesus highlighted this. And this taught me so much as I've been studying this. This is in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. Jesus was having a dispute with some uh, Pharisees, in front, um, which are just religious people. Um, and they were, a lot of them were good, godly people. Uh, they weren't all evil. But Jesus was having a discussion with them. And a scribe comes up, and a scribe is a smart guy, okay? 
a scribe is not just somebody who writes down what he hears. A scribe is a scholar. He, he can write large chunks of the Hebrew scripture from memory, and he can explain it very well. He knows a lot. So he hears Jesus debating, and Jesus is talking about marriage and heaven and a lot of different things. And so he comes up, he hears them disputing, and seeing that, he was, that Jesus is answering them all well, he asks him, which commandment, so this, the scribe is asking Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now this is a great question, and this is a question that many of us today would ask. Hey, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament, okay? If we were going to narrow that down to say, I don't know, one, there was one most important thing to do, what would it be? Jesus, what is the one thing that I need to be doing if I'm really going to to live out and, and, and become the person the Bible wants me to be and just follow these scriptures? What's the one thing? And there are a lot of people listening, and they might have had their own ideas, you know what? You should give money. That's what you should give. Or you should go to church. If you go to church, that's the most important thing. If you can go to church, you'll be fine. You know what? You should give your sacrifices. You need, if you give the right sacrifices, God will be pleased with you. That's what you need to do. You know what? You got to read your Bible. If you read your Bible, this or that or whatever. It could have been a lot of answers people were thinking, but what Jesus did, I think, is just so incredible. This is how Jesus answers. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, okay? And so he says this answer, which doesn't seem as profound as you might think, but notice he doesn't give him a how, he gives him a who. He says, love God, and then he continues The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. He says, listen, there are two, and they're not a how, they're a who. The first is, you have to love God with everything. Now, I've made some graphics, and by the way, I did not approve these with Joey Williams, who is our (laughs) official graphic, so uh, these will probably be updated and improved the next time if you ever see them again. But the first thing Jesus says, he says, listen, forget the how, you need a who. You need to have a connection with God. You need to love God with everything. And not your version of God, an angry judge that you've appeased. You need to love God, the true God, in the image he has presented. You need to love God with everything. And then he says, and you need to love others, okay? You need to love others. And I was thinking about this because a lot of us, this is how we live life, but yet a lot of us are not close to where God wants us to be because as we found out last week, there's another relationship as I studied this and as I've looked into the vision God has for us that's uh, kind of assumed in this. You know, I know people that they seem to serve others and others and others and others, yet they're so far from joy and they seem so overwhelmed and they seem almost miserable sometimes, even though they seem to be giving their life for others, they seem to be doing it for the sake of God and it seems like they're doing it right. But when you go back and look at the scripture, notice there's a third relationship that we often neglect. He said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's an implication here that you know how to love yourself. But what I've found is that most of us, when it comes to a healthy relationship, 
we might think we now have a great relationship with God. And we might think that we're a good person being good to others, but we've actually got a broken relationship with ourself. In other words, we're trying to define who we are by our own terms. We're trying to figure out, hey, I'll be happy if I can do the things I want to do. And maybe you think that, that you're pursuing the things that would make you healthy and whole, but in reality, you're pursuing the things you want. And you're missing out on who God says you are. In fact, what's interesting about this story, this is what really drew me to this. The scribe looks at Jesus after Jesus names these three relationships. He says, it's not a, a how you live your life, it's who you are living your life with. There's your relationships here. There are three of them here. He says, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other God beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all the strength and with all, um, and, and all your strength, that's, that's right. So the scribe's like, hey, Jesus, you got it right. You know, that's really big of you, scribe, to tell Jesus that. And then he says, and to love one's neighbor as yourself, he says, is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. In other words, of all the things you think you could do for God, the most important thing is that you love God and your relationship with God is right. And that your relationship with others is right and your relationship with yourself is right. This assumption. We can love others because we know how to love ourselves. But Jesus' response is what caught me on this. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely to him. And he says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, if you know anything, Jesus a lot of times would get into it with the religious people. He would meet scribes and he would get all into them because they would say something that was outlandish. But this time, this guy responds and he says, Jesus, that's so profound. Love God, love others as yourself. That's so profound. And Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. When Jesus looks at you and said, you know what? Hey, you're close. You're close. That's something we should look back and say, hey, maybe I should rethink the way I look at religion. Maybe I should rethink the way I follow Jesus because so many of us are in here right now. And we're thinking to ourselves, you know what? I know how to follow Jesus. I know how to, to I mean, I know how to, to go to church. In fact, it goes on uh, um, to say they, they, they basically shut up after that. They basically said, hey, if Jesus says he's far from God, we're not going to ask him any more questions. But what, what was profound about this to me is I started thinking about this idea of the connected life. And I started thinking, if there's a, one vision that we have for you as a church, for you as a member of this church, for you as a person, it would be the one thing where Jesus says, hey, this is what it's all about. This is what's going to put you close to the kingdom of God. It's if you can live a life where these three relationships are healthy and in good perspective. Because the more I thought about from leading you from where you are to where God wants you to be, a lot of us come in here thinking we need stuff. We need we need to know the five steps. Or maybe if I could just get through this season and get a little more money or this and that. But what I began to see is if you can live a life with these three relationships, if you can live a life that is connected in a healthy way to these three relationships, every problem you have, I believe, will begin to fall away. And you'll begin to see that things align so much more when you live a connected life that is focused on who and not how. And any problem you're facing, if you are facing a marriage problem, 
You know, every person I've ever dealt with that's ever come to me with a marriage problem in some form or fashion will always start here. You know what? She's wrong. You know what? He's wrong. And my marriage isn't where I want it to be, and I know I've messed up, but, but you know what? He hadn't really been the person he was supposed to be. And we always start here thinking this is it, but if we had a, a, a true vision of who God wants us to be, and instead of starting here, we started here, and we began to say, you know what? How does God love me? Who is God? God loves me in a covenant. And we began to really know who God is. God loves me in a covenant. And that covenant says, no matter how bad I am, God said, no matter how many times I rebel, I'm going to love you. And the way that you'll know I love you is because I'm making a covenant, a promise. I'm going to be there for you even when you run away from me. And if I begin to, to see my relationship with God is based on the fact that God loved me when I was unlovable, all of a sudden I begin to view myself different. You know what? I'm not... The, the best person in the world. I'm simply forgiven. In fact, I've been, I've run from God so many times and I begin to see, you know what? God made me in his image and he's forgiven me so many times and I have a right relationship with him. God is my savior. He's my redeemer. He loves me with his covenant and, and, and I am forgiven. I, I am loved at all times, even when I don't deserve it. All of a sudden, if I get these things right and I begin to realize this isn't a problem with my spouse, if I begin to love them the way that God loves me, all of a sudden, I promise you, the who, the other, the other person will change. And they'll at least begin to take notice. If you begin to love them in a right way, this is a covenant. And covenant means I've got to forgive even when they don't deserve it. All of a sudden, the problem isn't the other. The problem is my relationship with myself and my relationship with God. And this goes for uh, any situation that I, I, I've seen. It almost always works out if you could just see who God rightfully is and who you rightfully are in him. Then all of a sudden, the others almost always change. But we start here. It's always a them problem. I've met people that have a lack of purpose. And they think to themselves, you know what, if I could just be like someone else. If I could just have a job like them. If I could just look like them. If I could just be, you know, if I was just in this other situation. I always think that if I could just have something else. But if we knew who God was. You know, God is our creator and he created us intentionally. And we were able to see, you know what, God loves you so much. That he created you just to be in a relationship with him. He created you just to walk with him, just to worship. And then everything you do, when you are loving and living, or when you are living in a relationship with him and you are following him, your life is a life of worship. And who are you? You were made in the image of God. He made you exactly how he wanted. And so no matter how worthless you feel or ugly you feel or, or not deserving you feel, you are made in the image of God and you have been forgiven and redeemed. And you begin to see who you are in relationship to God. All of a sudden, you can begin to look at people in a healthy way and say, you know what? I don't have to look like them. I don't have to have what they have. I don't have to be them because I know who I am. Every single problem we are facing is not a how problem. It's a who problem. And if we could just see ourselves in relationship to who God is, who he created us to be, made in the image, and we grow in his image, then all of a sudden everything about us becomes how do we love others? How do we show the love of God? I could go on and on. Money, your kids, your job, every, every struggle you have, I believe, 
if you could just fix these three relationships and see that God has redeemed them, I believe it would change everything about your life. And in fact, my goal is that every member of this church begins to see that we have a vision for your life. Wherever you are right now, that we exist to lead you from where you are to where God wants you to be. And where God wants you to be is he wants you to be in a connected life. He wants you to be in a right relationship with him, but also in a place where you can love others as yourself. And that's because you know who you are in Christ. You know the example you have to follow in Christ. And all of a sudden, I promise you the how you follow God will fall into place. All of a sudden, you're not going to, to, to be overwhelmed with, am I being a follower enough? Am I doing the right things? But we'd rather be a how. We'd rather have a how. That's just the way we are. And the reason is it's because relationships take time. Relationships are messy. Relationships require work. And every time you begin to realize, hey, this might not be the problem, you begin to realize I've got to change me as well. I've got to learn how to forgive. If you've ever been in a relationship and you've thought, you know, they're the problem, I could never forgive them. You know what that means? That means that you have a broken relationship with who you are in Christ. If you'll say, I'll never forgive, you don't know that you are forgiven. If you'll say, I can never let go of, of, of what they did, you don't understand that God has, has freed you from what you've done. And God has freed you in life. And so as we move forward, I just want to remind us of two things. The first thing is this, and that is, Jesus is the way we reconcile all our relationships Jesus is the example we follow um, as ourself, for ourselves. Jesus, if you want to know um, who God wants you to be, you can look to Jesus. But the way that you love God, maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't have a right relationship with God. I want to start with what Jesus said. This is what he said to his disciples before he went to the cross. He said this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world will see me no more. He knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to give his life on behalf of his disciples and his followers, which is you. He says, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. The way that you live life is you understand Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he defeated death itself. But he didn't, didn't just do it so that you can live an eternal life. He did it so that you can live an abundant life. And that abundant life isn't what you acquire or achieve in life. It is who you are connected to. He wanted you to live a life connected to people. You know, at the end of your life, you are going to, somebody is going to stand up and say something about you. And you may not be there to hear it, but somebody's going to say something about you. And if they stand up and all they say is, he did this, he did that, he did that, he achieved this, he had this car, your life is going to have been a wasted life. I hope all my heart that my kids stand up, whoever it is, you stand up and you say, you know what, I was with him. He was there for me. And you talk about the relationships I had, not the things I did. The vision that God has for us is that we live a life to, the, to, to full. But it only comes when we give our life to Jesus. It only comes when we live our life becoming who Jesus called us to be so that we can love others the way he loved them. Imagine in the next few weeks if this church began to fully embrace you know what, where we're going as a church. I'm going to be a healthy person. I'm going to dig into who I am in Christ. I'm going to dig into who God is, and I'm going to love him more because I want to love others. 
And all of a sudden, people will begin to notice you have a vision for your life. Your kids will notice. Your employees will notice. Your employer will notice when you begin to live a life that is based on the relationships around you. And you don't blame every other person for your problem. You begin to see, you know what, there is a a whole set of relationships here that I've got to navigate. My hope is that every single person in here begins to live out this vision and begins to see, you know what, this is who I want to become, someone who loves God with all my heart and strength and can love others the way God loves them because I know how God loves me. And if we do that, We'll be able to, to go into the next season of our church when we're in the city of Wiley. We'll be able to go there and people will come in who are broken and they are uh, whatever, lousy Larrys or whatever we call them. By the way, I was going to call the Connected Life, I was going to come up with a guy's name. I was going to call it Connected Kanye, but I decided not to do that. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But imagine what happens when people encounter a vision for their life. This is what we want for you and it's not a how, it's a who. God has three relationships. If you can love him and you can love yourself as he loves you in the image of Christ, you will begin to show his love to everyone you meet. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this church and the future of this church. I thank you that as we begin to prepare for a new season of life in a new city, with new people that we're going to meet and that we're going to reach, that you've continued to grow us as a church. I thank you so much that you have not just given us a mission that we can give our lives for, but you've given us a vision of who we can become. Lord, it's my hope that everyone in this room today that's been trying and sincerely trying to become the person you want them to be, but maybe we haven't really sat back and thought, you know what, it's not what I'm doing, it's who I'm becoming. I want to be someone who loves you and knows how you love me, knows who I am in you so that I can love others the way you love them. Lord, I pray that as we focus on the relationships and not just the religion part of it, not just on checking on a, off a box, I came to church today, not just on, hey, I gave money or I read this or I did this. Lord, if instead this can become a part of who we are. Lord, we live a connected life. And we know that if the people around us who are searching and chasing for things that even if they get them, they won't change anything about who they are, if we can just begin to explain to them clearly, God has a vision for your life. And it's not a how, it's a who. Lord, we know that you'll change their life. We know that you'll change the cities around us. We know you'll change this world. And that is our prayer, that as we come into a new city, Lord, we bring revival with us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. Lord, as we fast and pray in this church this week, I pray that you'll give us an extended measure of grace, those of us that maybe have struggled in our pursuit of you that we'll just be overwhelmed by our grace of knowing, God, we're in you, and it's not about what we're doing. But, Lord, we're calling on you, and we're fasting and praying because we have a burden for the people we're going to meet, the people we're going to reach in this church. So, Lord, I also pray that you'll give us a supernatural strength this week for those of us that are going to continue fasting in any way. Lord, I pray 
that this community will be changed because we have a vision of who we are in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.